0: Dr. Boris Kornfeld was a Russian Jewish physician whose only crime was that he spoke against the evil regime of Joseph Stalin. It was in the Soviet Union just after World War II. And so for his horrific crime, he he spent life in prison in a death camp. It's called a gulag. His job as a physician in the death camp was to keep the slave labor alive. And when when they died, usually because they were either executed starved to death or tortured to death, he had to doctor their records to make it look like they died of a, of, of a natural death. Well, one day a prisoner came to him and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And finding Jesus, meeting Jesus from the vantage point of a death camp, not only changed his eternal trajectory, it, it changed the way he viewed the suffering he was going through. He would find after getting beaten mercilessly by prison guards that he'd go back to his his cell room and he'd throw himself on the floor all bloodied and say, Father, please forgive them for they know not what they do. One day the guards brought them prisoner number 26232. Prisoner number 26232 was a Soviet war hero, a a war hero from World War II. And he also was going to spend the rest of his life in prison for one reason, he spoke against Joseph Stalin. Well, they, they brought the prisoner to him, and Dr. Kornfeld did what he always did. He prayed over the prisoner, shared Jesus Christ with him, and then he realized the man had stomach cancer. He did immediate surgery. When prisoner number 26232 came to, he heard screams down the hallway. The guards were brutally murdering Dr. Boris Kornfeld. Prisoner number 26232 would be the last person Boris would lead to Jesus. Here's what's interesting. This prisoner would eventually get released from prison. And in fact, what would happen, is he would write a bunch of books about his life in, in the Russian gulags. Uh, great books such as Gulag Archipelago, or One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. We know him as Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He'd receive the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1970 for those books and those works. But here's what I find more interesting than that. At the height of his pr- imprisonment, on his worst day, he said a prayer that illustrated his, his faith that was so strong. He said these words. He said, O oh God, how easy it is for me to believe in you. You created a path for me through despair. O oh God, you've used me, and where you can't use me, you have appointed others. Thank you. You see, for Alexander, suffering led him to a Christ to be embraced rather than a fate to be endured. He'd also write these words. He said, It was only when I lay there on a rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. It was in that prison in which Alexander found himself beyond hope. But when he was told about this good news of Jesus, that Jesus went to the cross, died for his sins, died, buried, and was resurrected, and overcame death, that that because of that, his suffering would end at some point, that his suffering would have an expiration date, that God would bring beauty out of the ashes of his life. Well, I don't know about you guys, I've never spent time in a Russian death camp, but I do know this. Every single one of us here is going to go through multiple times of suffering in our lives. It is a fact. Welcome to church. (laughs) And as we go through suffering, we have to remember this truth. In fact, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Jesus' resurrection gives your suffering an expiration date. Jesus' resurrection gives your suffering and my suffering an expiration date. At some point, either on this side of eternity or on the next, God's going to bring beauty out of the ashes of our lives. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we hit week three of our series called Hope Beyond. It's in this series in which we're looking at our living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus. Week one, we had uh, Daryl Strawberry kick us off with Hope Beyond Addiction. Week two, last week, Pastor Bob talked about hope beyond failure. Both of those are great teachings. Uh, go online to see them if you weren't here for either of them. This week, I have the honor to talk about hope beyond suffering. And I just got to put a caveat out there on this. So many of you here right now, so many of you watching online, so many of you at, at our campus gadget watching us right now are going through horrific suffering or have been through difficult times. And, and I have a hard time getting through these sermons, because sermons like this, because I know your story. And in no way do I want to belittle what you're going through. A 40-minute sermon can't really put arms around the loss of a child, the introduction of cancer into your life, or fill in the blank with whatever else is going on. So I want to own that up front. My hope is, is at the end of today's teaching, you'll have some encouragement but also you'll be challenged because God's word challenges us. His word is, is alive and it's effective and can change our lives. Okay, so we're going to be spending our time today mostly in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. We're going to hit a couple other spots in the Bible, but we're going to be hanging out in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. So turn in your Bibles and let, to that point and let me set the scene for what's going on. If we go back 2,000 plus years, Jesus is in his 30s, he goes to the cross. He dies for our sins, past, present, and future. When he dies, he's buried. Three days later, he's resurrected. And when he's resurrected, he hangs out on earth for a few weeks. Several hundred people see him in engaging with others, and then he ascends at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for us today. Now, before he goes to the right hand of the Father, he pours out his Holy Spirit, which is available to us. Now, that Holy Spirit empowers several of the disciples, men and women, to start this movement called The Way. It's Christianity, and it takes fire. It takes off around the world. So, 25 years after that, Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, writes this very short letter And he writes it to Christians suffering around the world. You see, there's a really bad guy named Nero. He was the Roman emperor at the time. And he is systematically trying to kill all the Christians. And so what he's doing is he's having them boiled alive, burned alive, skinned alive, buried alive, thrown into the Colosseum to be eaten by animals for sport. And it's a very, very difficult time. Peter's got a theme throughout this this really short letter, and it's suffering. But he's got a thesis, and the thesis is this. His main point is, we're all going to face suffering. Suffering is universal, but we have hope beyond suffering, and that's because of Jesus' resurrection. So remember our main thought today. Our main thought today is that Jesus' resurrection gives your suffering and my suffering an expiration date. All right, we ready to go? Okay, here we go. First Peter chapter 1. Let's hit up verse 3. Peter starts out saying this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of your translations say praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead. Okay, so first thing, Peter comes out and he says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's important because what happens is when we hit times of suffering, we can turn inward. That's a very natural thing to do. And what he says is, hey, no, we got to keep Christ on the throne and have us bearing the cross because Christ has already, already buried that cross. So praise be to God. He's got it all together. We hang on to him. We focus on him. And then he says that he gives us mercy. And mercy is a a word we kick around in church circles all the time. What it really means is really simple. A, a really good party reaches out to an undeserving party and gives that undeserving party compassion and love. And isn't that what God did for us? I mean, God's that good party. He's perfect. He's sinless. The sinless son of God comes to this earth and he takes on all of our sins, even though we didn't really deserve that, because I don't know if you guys checked, but, but I think we're all jacked up. We all have stuff going on in our lives. We do things we don't want to do, we say things we don't want to say, and yet God loves us greatly. And it's his love that, that that brings him to us. The Apostle Paul would write that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have you ever considered that Jesus When he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to be tortured, before he's going to go through six mock trials, and then he'll be tortured, he'll be executed in a horrific way. The thing that gave him hope was his love for us, that we were actually his living hope. And that's what got him through everything on the cross. So Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he's buried, buried, he's resurrected. And when he's resurrected, that means he overcomes death. That means suffering is not going to win ultimately, that he wins in the end. So because of the resurrection, we're no longer hopeless, we're hopeful. So that's all important. Peter starts setting the scene for this thing called suffering. He says, through Jesus, we're born again into this living hope. And then he says this, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That last time is Jesus' return. So here's what Peter's saying to us. Through Jesus, we have this inheritance, and that inheritance is our salvation, and it's got three characteristics to it. First of all, it's imperishable. That means that death can't touch it. It's undefiled. That means that evil can't stain it. And then it won't fade away. That means that time can't erode it. So here's how it works. We receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. God reaches out to us over and over and over. He keeps clobbering us in the head saying, come on, come to me. I love you. I want, I want to be part of your life. And then at some point, we get the wake-up call and we say, okay, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. I want to follow you. And when we do that, as Pastor Bob taught last week, something miraculous happens. Jesus takes up residence inside of us. And we then have his power, the power of the Holy Spirit to walk through the highs and lows and wins and losses of life. To go through those difficult times with his power and we're protected during that time. Okay, so that's important now as Peter jumps right into this theme of suffering. Let's look at this. Let's look at verse six. He says, in this, this salvation, this inheritance you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you've been distressed by various trials so he tells us that we're going to go through trial after trial in our lives but it's, there's a limit to the trials that we're going go to th- go through there's a time limit some of it it's gonna, sometimes it's going to be here on this life that that suffering will stop guaranteed if we suffer all the way to the point that we choke on our chicken bone and show up in front of Jesus it's going to stop at that time but it's guaranteed to stop. And with Jesus in our hearts, that means that God walks with us through that. In fact, the presence of trials does not negate the presence of God. The presence of trials, the trials that we're going through, does not mean that God's not there with us. In fact, what we're going to find out today is that he longs to walk with us through those difficult times of suffering. So we're protected during those times. One of my my favorite psalms is Psalm 23, and probably the most famous verse in the Bible At least it's in the top three, is Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Trials are going to happen, and we've got to expect those trials because suffering is universal. So I look at all this, and it goes right to that age old question If God is so good, how can He allow suffering? I mean, think about it. If he's so powerful, why doesn't he stop it? And if he's so loving, why would he let his kids go through so much junk? I've wrestled with it for years. I have. And the issue is this, and this is what we're going to look at today. The issue is this. We serve an incredible, mighty, powerful God, a loving God who's infinite. We cannot understand him completely. No religion... No religion can explain how how bad things happen to good people. But here's the thing about God. Because He's so unlimited and big, and and we try try to figure Him out with our limited minds, He's not under any obligation to act the way we think He should, especially when we're stuck in the mire, in the muck, when we're stuck in the weeds, when we're in the battle, and we're facing all the stuff in front of us. We don't have the vantage point that He does. But here's the thing. One of the things I've realized over the years when I've walked, through, walked with countless people through times of suffering, when I've walked in my life through times of suffering, the worst thing we can do when it comes to suffering is give stupid, pat answers. And there are some stupid ones out there. A child dies and we foolishly say, oh, you know what? Heaven just needed another angel. Heaven doesn't need another angel. That's a stupid answer. It really is. We don't become angels when we die, but that's for another sermon, another time. Or we do the infamous, well, you know, if you couldn't handle it, God wouldn't give it to you. (laughs) What we're going to find out today is that because we can't handle it, there's no way we can handle it. We have to go to God to help us go through it. So I want to be very careful as we walk down this path. And I want us to understand this, that Christianity, Christianity does not provide the reason for all suffering. But it does give the, the believer the resources to deal with all suffering, and that resource is Jesus. Okay, so what we gotta do, let's start, let's go back to the creation account, and let's look at how suffering began. So God creates the heavens and earth, and when he creates the heavens and earth, he says, this is good. And then he creates mankind, he creates man and woman. And with that, he says, no, this is very good. And he takes a great risk when he creates us. And that risk is that he gives us free will. It's the free will to either choose God and say, God, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life. I'm going to do my best to love you and to love others and, and, and change this world in an outward positive focus. Or we can say, jam it, Jesus. Jam it, God, I want nothing to do with you. We can use that free will to be not only disobedient, but we can do some outright evil. And it's a risk because he's not going to force his love on us. True love is not forced love. True love is is not forced love. You can't force someone to love you. So God creates Adam Adam and Eve, and he puts them in an amazing environment. They're, they've got face-to-face time with God. Adam's got rock-hard abs, and Eve has beautiful hair, and, and neither of them have morning mouth. They look good. <laughs> and then God gives them a parameter. He says, don't eat from that tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. You can do anything else you want, have, your, your, have, have fun, whatever you wanna do. Don't do that. And then the tempter shows up and Satan tempts them in a way that I don't think we're ever going to be able to understand. And he says something to the effect of, come on guys, did God really say that? Actually, God doesn't want you to eat from that because when you do, you're gonna be just like him. Come on, eat of it. And they do. When that one bit of disobedience happens that using their free will, all hell breaks loose on earth. God gets upset and he says these words. Look at Genesis 3, verses 16 and 17 and verse 19. He's talking to Eve and he says, basically, because of your choice to be disobedient, Eve, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. Ladies, happy Mother's Day. And to the man, Adam, he said, The ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are. And to dust you will return. Life will have pain and labor. It's going to be difficult. At that time, cancer, sin, disease, famine, war, ugliness, uh, hurricanes, tsunamis, natural disasters, everything enters the world at that time. And God didn't do that. It was instigated by Satan, and it's acted upon by man. And think about God. When all that's going on, he creates us with this free will. And think about this, going back to the creation account. He says, let us make man in our own image. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to angels. He's talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Back in December, we went through the first 18 verses of the book of John. And verse 1 was, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, it's talking about Jesus. That Nothing was created without him. Everything was created by him, for him, and through him. So Jesus is there in creation. And man and woman screw up. And God knows because he gave us the ability to have this free will to love or to hate or to disobey, he knows he's going to have to crush Jesus from the start. But he's got the plan. Jesus is going to have to go to the cross to pay the price because he's a God of justice. And Jesus is going to bear that justice so we can have this perfect relationship with God once again. So too often in life, when we walk through difficult times, what we want to do is we want to blame God. And what I want us to do is pull back from that and say, let's look at some different causes of suffering. Let's look at some different things that can cause suffering. So let's talk about that. What about spiritual combat? I believe spiritual combat is real. Uh, If there is a God, and there is, then there is a Satan. And if there is a God, and there is, uh, he's got angelic forces, forces, Satan has demonic forces. And there's battles going on all around us that we can't see. And as Christ followers, we got a big target on our backs and on our heads because what Satan wants to do is pull us away from God. And so spiritual combat happens. Jesus overcame Satan on the cross. When he was resurrected, he overcame death. He overcame Satan. But 1 John 5 verse 19 says that Satan holds the keys to this world temporarily. What that means is when Jesus comes back, he'll he'll kerspankle Satan for good. He'll be thrown away. But until then, we got to deal with a fallen world and a bunch of junk. Now, Satan goes after Job. That's one of the old, the, the, that is the oldest book in the Bible and a story that most of us know. Last week, Pastor Bob talked about Satan went after Peter and said, I'm, I want to sift Peter. That means he's coming after him. So, spiritual combat is real. But does every bad thing... In our life happened because of spiritual warfare. I mean, I broke my, my backpack zipper this week. And was that the demon of backpack zippers coming at me? I, I don't think so because I noticed that it was breaking. I did. It was a string on there. I noticed it was breaking and I was too lazy to change the string. That one's on me. So that leads me to another source of human suffering. What about the dumb decisions we make? Now hear me out on this. Give me some grace on this. Not all bad things happen to us because of our dumb decisions. But I always say, when I, when I stand up here and preach, every time I say, um, I, I say this, I, I'm always preaching to myself, to myself first, because I look at the dumb decisions I've made in my life, the, the financial health decisions, the career decisions, the relationship decisions. And I've brought a reek of havoc into my family and into my life and, and my friends because of my stupid decisions. So let's look at some of that. Um, let's look at financial decisions we can buy stuff we don't need with money we don't have on credit we never intend to pay back and eventually it comes to bite us and then we either get evicted from our house or we get our our car repossessed and we're sitting there thumbing our way down the road saying why God why you hate me when really we got to have the courage to look in the mirror saying have I made the wisest financial decisions in my life not all the time we suffer because of that, but a lot of times we do. What about health? You know, we can eat things that aren't good for us. We can live in stressful lives and have escape routes that aren't good for us. Get addicted to drugs and alcohol. We can do all sorts of things to our body. And then when our body uh, hits the floor, we're going, why God, why? You must hate me for this. And a lot of of times, not all the time, a lot of times we got to look ourselves in the mirror and say, have I done everything to take care of myself? We can make foolish decisions with our jobs. You know, we can get fired from our job and say, it's cause the man, the man's out to get me. Or God must hate me. And I think before we do that, that sometimes, yeah, we have bosses out to get us. Sometimes it's not, not our fault, but a lot of times we gotta look in the mirror and say, have I done everything to be a man or a woman of character, honor, integrity? And I would say faith in the workplace because God tells us that everything we do, all our work we do, we should be working as if for him. Have we done something that, that causes, or that, that takes no talent at all, show up to work on time, giving 100% in what we do? Have we kept ourselves competitive in the workplace, whether it's, it's building on our trade or, or, or increasing our education? There are things that we can do that ca- can cause pain and suffering in our own lives. What about relationships? You know, we can marry spouses we shouldn't or to have friends that that take us down wrong paths. And then when all hell breaks loose in our lives, we're going, why, God, why? I don't, this is is wrong. You know, you're out to get me, God. When in reality, did he force us to have those friends or those spouses? Spiritual combat's going on. We make stupid mistakes. But what if we're doing everything we can, everything in our power to do what's right and good? And there are stupid decisions other people make because that's another cause of suffering. The guy texting, the drunk driver, the dictator that takes over a country, the active shooter. And all of a sudden, we're in a time of suffering, not because of anything we did, but some jack wagon who did something stupid. What about living in a fallen world? I mean, if you look at all of it, all of it put together, we live in a fallen world where good kids get cancer and die, where incredible people shouldn't shouldn't die, but they're taken from this earth too soon. Hurricanes, tsunamis wreak havoc. And we look at this, and it's all been happening since the fall of man. But you may say, Kip, I don't believe in that creation account. Okay, if you're an evolutionist or if you're a Big Bang theorist, You believe those theories. Isn't there room within those theories for a good God to say, my world is jacked up and I'm going to send my son to change things? That I'm going to send my son to set things right? Since Genesis 3, the the world has been groaning. The Apostle Paul writes about this. He writes this in Romans 8 verses 22 and 23. He says, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. He's talking about that inheritance, about our salvation. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Humans have incredible potential for evil. For those of you here, I know several of us here are combat veterans and we've walked through some of the ugliest humanity has to offer through mass graves, seeing horrific things sometimes doing horrific things. There are Kim Jong-uns out there. There are the Joseph Stalins, the Vladimir Putins, the Victor Chavez's, the the Ted Bundy's, the, the Charles Manson's. We have an incredible potential, every single one of us, to do evil. But here's what I find that's so beautiful and amazing, that when God creates us with that free will, we have an incredible potential to love. That... We go through times of suffering and when we show that love to God and others that something supernatural happens, the Mother Teresas of the world, the Martin Luther Kings, the Pastor Bobs, all of these things or all of us have that potential to love and he calls on us, God calls on us to use that free will to suffer well because when we suffer well, life change happens. The the prophet Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He talked about he had so many prophecies about Jesus that came true. I mean all of all of his prophecies about Jesus came true. And he said that when we suffer, God suffers too. And think about that. If you go to the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son Jesus that whoever would peri- or whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Think about that. For God so loved us he created us with free will that whoever would believe in his son Jesus would have eternal life, but there's a but to that. And that but is Jesus would have to go to the cross. God would He loved us so much, he would have to crush his own son to make things right, to give us that hope beyond. See, on the cross, it was God's choice to suffer, so we would have an end to our suffering. It was God's choice to suffer, So we would have an end to our suffering. God God didn't start the suffering. It was instigated by Satan, acted upon by man. And if you go ahead and you look at the book of Revelation, spoiler alert, it's the last, last book in the Bible. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. And here's what's cool about it. Heaven works backwards. What happens is God takes all of the junk of our lives and he brings beauty out of it that this life is very, very temporary. It's a blip on the radar, radar screen. I'm convicted when we get to heaven and we look back at everything on earth, we're going, why was I hanging on to that when I have all of this? It was God's choice to suffer so we'd have an end to our suffering, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say it every time I preach. The gospel made simple. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. Bad things, all the ugliness of this world, all the the disease, the warfare, the death, the, the dying, the destruction made good through Jesus when he gets in our lives. And he does it because he loves us. And he gives us the power to deal with the suffering that we're in. So does that get God off the hook for suffering? Absolutely not. In fact, I once heard a Christian philosopher say the Christian God came to earth to deliberately put himself on the hook of human suffering, and he did that on the cross. So let's go back to 1 Peter. What I want to do, though, is I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 4 because there are a couple of verses that really hone in on this thing called suffering. Okay, so let's look at this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Peter writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials, the suffering you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Now, here's what he's not saying Yay, I've got cancer. Or, yay, my, my, my best friend died. He's not saying that at all. He's saying when your world is falling apart, hold on to Jesus because only Jesus holds it all together. So he said, instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the world. Suffering is going to, to happen, so don't be surprised. Embrace the suck by embracing Jesus. And as we go through difficulty, we have to understand who God is, that he came to earth for a specific reason. So there's a a biblical word, it's called incarnation. We kick it around all the time in in church and in the church world. Incarnation is about Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, the, the creator of all things, stepping down from his throne to get into our mess simply because he loves us no matter where we are, if we created the mess or if we didn't. Have you ever considered that only God knows what it's like to be a king, to step down from his throne and be born in a crap-filled stable so he could experience the ugliness of our world and write what's going on? That only God knows what it's like to crush his son on a cross, to pay a price for penalties, and, 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 and sins that he did not commit, but to set things right. That only God knows what it's like to be a Jewish mom named Mary looking at her son on the cross being crushed and tortured and to feel that pain. That only God knows what it's like to suffer And to reach down to the hellish depths of mankind and create this earth that is at one point and and, and at at, at the same time so beautiful and people that are so amazing, yet at the same time so ugly and so evil. Only God knows that. And only God knows uh, uh, what suffering truly is. And He never asks us to suffer more than He suffered on the cross. He leads by example in that arena. So he tells us he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. He says he's going to walk through us. So back to Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus. God speaks to Isaiah and he's speaking to his people. He says these words, Isaiah 43 verses 2 and 3. He says, when, not if, but when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You see, the presence of trials doesn't negate the presence of God. He's going to be there with us. He walks with us through that. But we have to suffer well. And we suffer well by saying, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I'm, I'm even angry at you about this. But I'm going to trust you and I'm just going to hold on to you. I need you to get me through this. Christianity, no religion, can give us the reason for all suffering. Only Christianity has a God who steps down from his throne to meet us in our mess. It's unheard of. And Christianity is the only religion out there that, can't, that, that doesn't provide all the answers, but it does provide the resource. And that resource is Jesus with everyone, the countless people I've walked with through pain and suffering. The ones who have said, "Jam it, Jesus, I want nothing to do with you have ended up bitter and despair, never recovered. But the ones who said, all right, God, I don't get it, but we're gonna do this together and I'm gonna walk and do my best to honor you. They have suffered well. Jesus gives us the resurrection to face this side of eternity with hope. Sometimes he, he reconciles it on this side, sometimes on the other. All right, let's keep on going. Let's go back now to 1 Peter chapter 1. Go back to that, first, that, that sixth verse because it builds on top of this. He says, in this, this salvation, this inheritance, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by suffering by various trials. So there's that, that end date. We're gonna have an end date to our suffering so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The proof of your faith is that you say, God, I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you as you walk me through this. See, the, the, the fires of, of our suffering have some way of purifying our character and they make us stronger. And that's so hard to say looking at so many faces going through so much suffering, but it's so true. And with Jesus as our focus, as we suffer, we're not broken as we go in the fires, we're refined. You see, in the ancient times, a goldsmith would take a chunk of gold and he'd heat the fires up around the gold and heat it up more and more and more. And as the gold heated up, the impurities would be burned off and the gold would actually get smaller. And the goldsmith knew that his work was complete when he could see his face in the gold, the reflection in the gold. Think about that for us when we suffer. We go through the fires. And when we suffer, it's natural. It's natural to want to get bigger, as in we focus on ourselves. But what God says is, no, look at me. Take your, your eyes off of yourself. Look at me. Become smaller. You smaller, me bigger. God's saying, Me bigger. And as we walk through that fire, and as we suffer well, we reflect the divine goldsmith Jesus. We reflect his character. So having said all of that, with all of that as background, we can take a stab at how can a good God allow suffering. If God is so good, why does he allow suffering? Well, for sure one way is because it's the only way he can make us like Jesus, It's so true. We can only be like Jesus through suffering. There's no way our character can be developed without suffering as brutal and difficult as that is to hear and as difficult as it is to preach. Folks, hear my heart, please. Every man or woman of greatness God ever used had to go through multiple times of suffering. Every man or woman of greatness God ever used had to go through times of suffering, your greatness as a man or woman of God can only emerge through suffering. I once heard a pastor say these words, if you were never broken, how would you know that only Jesus could make you whole? If you never had to walk through fire, how would you know that only Jesus could could make your character pure and strong? If you never had any pain, how would you know that Jesus, and only Jesus is a true healer, If you never had to pray, how would you understand that Jesus is a deliverer? If you never went through suffering, how could you even have an inkling of understanding what Jesus went through on the cross? And if you never had any trouble in your life, how would you know that only Jesus can be your ultimate rescuer, folks? Every man or woman of greatness God ever used, had to go through multiple times of suffering. And he calls on us to suffer well. He's defeated the suffering on the cross. And what he calls us to do when we get in those times of suffering is to fight and fight and fight some more. We get into the arena, and as we fight, we're kicking Satan between the legs. Last time I checked, he does not wear a cup. When we suffer well, our friends and family members are watching and we help them suffer well because we're all going to go through it. When we suffer well, there's an echo into eternity. My favorite movie is Gladiator. What we do in this life echoes into eternity. The way we suffer echoes into eternity, good or bad, because we can lead people to Christ as Christ's followers as we suffer well, or when we biff it and we don't suffer well, we can lead them away. What we do in this life does echo into eternity, and that's with the way we suffer. So let me wrap this up. Let's look at this, verses 8 and 9. Peter writes, And though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and, and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." A salvation that's imperishable. Death can't touch it. Undefiled. Evil can't stain it. It won't fade away. Time, time can't erode it. And he asks us to hang on to him with everything we have, especially when we don't understand it, and just say, God, I trust you. You love me. And so I'm going to ask you to walk with me in this. Give me the strength and the courage and the power to suffer well. The book of Psalms is a great place to go when when you're going through a difficult time. It's right in the middle of the Bible, 150 poems with power. And most of the Psalms end on an uptick. You know, God, you are God. I praise you. I'll praise you in the storm, all these great things. But there are two of them that are total downers. They end on a downtick. In fact, Psalm 39 is written by David, and he talks about how our life is so short. It's just a blip on the radar screen. And then Psalm 88 is written by a dude named Ezra, or, uh, He-Man the Ezraite. Now, He-Man the Ezraite is writing this psalm, and he's upset because he's been sick since he was a kid, and he's an old man now. And the last verse goes something like this as he's yelling at God. Lord, heaven, or Lord, lover and friend, you have taken away from me. Only darkness is my closest friend. And you look at that, and you may be saying, man, that guy's yelling at God. What I love about God and what I love about the Psalms is that's just human. That's just humanity saying, God, come on. And I know a lot of us have been there. But you might may say, he's walking away from his faith. I don't think so. He's hanging on to his faith with his fingernails. He's praying, and that may be you right now. Right now, if you're at a time of suffering, let me just encourage you and challenge you to embrace the suffering by embracing Jesus. Embrace the suffering by embracing Jesus. Reflect His character. Love well, be that example, a positive example as you suffer because the way you suffer in this life echoes into eternity. That every man or woman of greatness God ever used had to suffer well. And when you do that, you're God's exhibit A in the fight against evil, in the fight against suffering, and you reflect our divine goldsmith, Jesus. Because of Jesus' resurrection, your suffering has an expiration date.